0: we're continuing our series in James. Um, I wanted to start by reading our uh, section for today. So uh, it's not going to be on the screen. So either pull it up on your phone. If you don't have a phone or a Bible with you, find, if, find someone who you know has one and uh, lean over. Or you can listen to the sounds of my voice um, as I read James chapter 2. Here we go. My brothers and sisters believers in our glorious Lord Jesus Christ must not show favoritism. Suppose a man comes into your meeting wearing a gold ring and fine clothes, and a poor man in filthy old clothes also comes in. If you show special attention to the man wearing fine clothes and say, here is a good seat for you, but you say to the poor man, you stand there or sit on the floor by my feet, Have you not discriminated among yourselves and become judges with evil thoughts? Listen, my dear brothers and sisters, has not God chosen those who are poor in the eyes of the world to be rich in faith and to inherit the kingdom he promised those who love him? But you have dishonored the poor. But you have dishonored the poor. I'm going to stop there. Um, I've got a question for you. What is the funniest outfit that you have seen somebody wear to Asda? To Asda, right? Now, I feel like this is actually a legitimate question because every time I go to Asda, I see some new phenomenon and I think, surely someone told you before you left that you can't wear that out in public. But apparently nobody did, or it's really normal. I have seen people go barefoot through a supermarket. That's, that's the thing I've seen. I've seen dressing gowns. That's actually quite normal now. Anyone ever seen dressing gowns at an Asda? Right. So I used to think that there were certain things you could and couldn't wear out in public. But Asda is this loophole. It just allows, You can wear whatever you want when you go to an Asda. For some reason, Pamela, you've worked at Asda. You know, you've seen all sorts of stuff at Asda. So you can wear whatever you want to Asda. And I think it's funny because clothes, right, the things that we wear, in marketing terms, they are a signal. This is a, a flag about something about you. Your, your clothes say something about you what, you, what you want to fit into or what you don't want to fit into. You might be too cool for fashion, so you wear something that's purposefully massive or gross, like yellow Crocs, Rory Davidson, I'm looking at you. And you might choose you don't want to fit in, you don't want to be popular... I saw someone playing basketball in Crocs the other day. That's how fashionable they've become. That is a genuine slip risk. I could not believe that I saw somebody doing that. Okay, okay, okay. So, sport mode. I know, sport mode on the Crocs is apparently a thing. So... Clothes are a signal of how we want to fit in, how we want to be seen. They are a code or your way of saying to society, I want to fit into this type of category. I want you to see me as X, Y, and Z based on what I'm wearing. They are signals. And the thing is, we have been so trained by society... To develop our personal brand. To develop what we would say is how I want to be seen, who I want to be, how I want to be known by other people. We are trained all the time in how to do this. How to fit in, what to wear, and how to do it. I recently came across a social media app called Be Real. Has anybody heard of the social media app Be Real? Okay. Fine. So, regardless of whether or not you've heard of it, I'll break it down. I'm not on it, so I might get this horribly wrong. But Be Real is kind of like the anti-Instagram, where Instagram has become very polished and people just pose all their... They put all their favorite photos on and it all looks wonderful. This app has been set up to try and capture real life. And the way that it does that is it pings your phone at a random point in the day. This feels terrifying to me, by the way. I do not want this in my life. At a random point in your day, and you've got two minutes. You have two minutes to submit a photo of what's going on. The camera on your phone takes a photo from the front and the back-facing camera so that it's authentic. You are not allowed to retouch it. Ben, have you just B-Reeled me? Unbelievable. No way. Ah. Oh, it's happened. Why didn't I think that was going to happen? So. But, wait, I'm so, I have so many questions. So many questions. So. Oh, fine. You can post late. So there are loopholes. But the idea is it's been set up so that you can show an authentic version of yourself as opposed to Instagram. These things are real. uh, They, hence the name, you don't get to retouch. There's no likes. So supposedly it's the cure for Instagram. Hurrah. As you can tell, I'm really enthusiastic about this. This is part of, I think, one of our culture's most chronic problems. The over commodification of our life. Everything about your life now is going to be on camera. At least Instagram wasn't asking me to take a picture when I was at my desk minding my own business. Now an app might do that. And you have to turn it into something worth sharing. And I don't care if you say, oh, no, 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 it's about the authentic, real experience. If you can honestly say that after a month of using Be Real, that you're not comparing your photos to others, that you're not feeling self-conscious slightly, or even a little bit more anxious about the app buzzing, you just have more self-control than me, and that's absolutely fine. But for me, that app terrifies me. I do not need a notification telling me to take another picture. I feel bad, I know a lot of people are using it and enjoying it, and people are saying it is better than Instagram, and I totally get that because Instagram also cripples me and my anxiety about how I feel about myself and compare myself to others. But this app, for me, is an, an attempt to solve the problem but within the same broken system of social media. Commenting on this passage that I have just read to you, Tom Wright said these words, the church back then and us today We are constantly assessing ourselves. We are constantly assessing ourselves. We have been trained to compare ourselves to other people, to compare ourselves to complete strangers, not only in the street, but literally anybody online. We have been trained to compare ourselves, to assess how successful beautiful, financially secure, somebody may be, and to compare it to us. We are constantly assessing ourselves. More now than ever, we judge a book by its cover. And in James chapter 2 is one of my favorite warnings of all time. It is a warning against two-faced Christianity, and this is what I mean. It's against a religion that would go to all the effort of designing and printing a love your neighbor t-shirt and then actively discriminating against the poor through the decisions that you take on a daily basis. It is a warning against a person who says that they have faith, but then their actions the very next day do not back up that claim. It's 2 faced. Now, our faith should include three things, and these are three things listed here. Verse 1, our faith should be built on the glory of Jesus, making much of him. And actually, if anything, I shouldn't be preaching and we should just continue singing. Because if anything's going to change our hearts, it's worship and it's spending time being in the glory of Jesus' presence. That's one thing that our faith should be built around. The second thing it should be built around is God's love of the poor. Look at this in verse 5. It says it right there, that God has chosen those who are poor. That's the second thing. And the third thing is the command to prefer others over ourselves. There's a reference there in verse eight. I didn't get to read it, but it says, if you really keep the royal law found in scripture to love your neighbor as yourself, you are doing right. And so a faith that we should all be aiming for is one that makes much of who Jesus is. It's one that is focused on God's love of the poor, And finally, it's one that actively prefers other people to ourselves instead of constantly critiquing them and trying to be real and comparing ourselves to people online. Our actions frequently contradict this faith that I've just talked about. We contradict it when we judge someone based on their appearance or maybe their wealth. And in that moment, in the moment that you see someone and you make a judgment about what kind of person they are, how much money they make, whether you might like them or not, the moment you make that judgment, This piece of scripture is really clear. You have broken the entire law, the whole thing. Anyone who says, well, no, 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 I'm I'm mostly fine. I'm a good person, but I'm a little bit judgy. Anyone who says that, it's a little bit like saying that your iPhone screen is slightly cracked across it. It's either cracked or it's not, or your tire has a slight puncture. The thing is either punctured or it's not. To say that you are mostly good, but you have this one flaw, I'm judgy. James is saying here, no, 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 it doesn't work like that. If we have a flaw in one area, we are broken people and we need to recognize our need for God to make us right. And so the remedy for this that I want to quickly propose this evening is this, divine discrimination. Divine discrimination. Verse five says this, has not God chosen the poor in the eyes of the world So we're not talking about a metaphor here. We're not saying, oh, he just means that the poor in spirit. No, literally God has chosen people who are in material terms. They have less. God has chosen the poor in the eyes of the world to be rich in faith and to inherit the kingdom. He promised to those who love him throughout all of scripture. If you read the entire Bible and if you haven't ever done that, I cannot recommend it highly enough. Throughout all of the Bible, one thread that you will see running throughout it, there are many, one of the threads you will see is God is always, 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 always on the side of the poor. He is always on the side of the poor. Footnote, see Dave's talk on Amos this morning, and I had to try really hard not to just carbon copy the whole thing. See this in Deuteronomy chapter 10. For the Lord your God is a god of gods and lord of lords the great uh, the great god mighty and awesome who shows no partiality and he accepts no bribes he defends the cause of the fatherless and the widow and he loves the foreigner residing among you has a lot to say to british people we're so racist sometimes giving them food and clothing and you are to love those who are foreigners for you yourselves were foreigners in egypt Before God sends his people on the greatest mission they will ever go on that we see in the Old Testament, he says, there's one thing, there is one thing you must remember. I am sending you into a place where you will be considered outsiders. And for that reason, people who are in your midst, who feel on the outs, you need to take care of them the same way that I have taken care of you. And despite all of that, we still discriminate against the poor and we favor those who are rich. Just like it says in this chapter, when someone comes to us, we are more likely to treat them a certain way if we think that we will benefit from that relationship, if we think that we will like them, if we think that they have something to offer us. And the Bible is telling us that this is a huge risk, and actually it contradicts the very heart of God. Now, I have to say at this point that I think community church stands up quite nicely to this challenge here, because I don't think we have a dress code. (laughs) I think you could basically wear anything you want almost to community church and no one's going to judge you at the door. In fact, I actually think we might have the other problem. And if you did come into community church looking really sharp and fancy, we would probably think you were lost. So I think we actually might have the other problem here. The only time I have ever thought that there was a dress code was one very, very famous Christmas morning, my first Christmas morning at community church, where I heard a rumor that people dress up like Christmas people when they come to church on that particular Sunday. A nativity, Christmas people, a nativity scene. <laughs> it's a perfectly normal thing to say. And you would show up to church dressed as a character from the nativity. I can't remember where I heard this, but I got it in my head. So it's Christmas morning, and I am rummaging around my parents' back garden, trying to find something that resembles a shepherd's staff. And I'm rummaging through my parents' drawers to be over there for breakfast, and I grab a tea towel, and I'm like, that's my hat, because that's obviously what shepherds wore. And so I put that on my head, I've got my staff, Maddie's next to me, like, you're an idiot, what are you doing? This is our first Christmas here, and you're going to dress up like that. We go through the front doors nobody's wearing any costume. And I was like, what have I done? I'm here. I've got this massive stick, a tea towel on my head. And you know, when you've gone that far, you're just like, I'm going all the way. I'm fine. So I sat down with my staff there, tea towel on my head, the whole service. And I could feel people, you know, when you know, you're aware that someone's looking at you, I could feel it in the back of my head. Who's this Muppet that's shown up on Christmas with a stick? And a tea towel on his head, he must be off his rocker. And that was my only experience ever, thankfully, I think, of wearing the wrong thing to church. So, I think that community church probably doesn't have the issue of a dress code. But individually, do we have an issue of assessing people based on the way they look? I know I do. I think we all do. One way or another. And this is the great challenge to us today. But how do we do it? And this is what I want to close with risky faith. At the end of this chapter, and if you've got it open still, I'd love for you to turn to it. Um, just at the end of chapter two, there's, there, there's a really unusual, I love this in the Bible, there's a really unusual choice of metaphor. Now as someone who preaches every now and again and speaks, I'm used to thinking about metaphors and stories. Occasionally in the Bible, you see someone writing something and you think, why did you go there? And at the end of a passage, at the end of a passage talking about appearance and how we deal with judging others, the two examples that are given are Abraham and Rahab. And I just would never put those two together in any sort of story or illustration, but yet an amazing and beautiful thing happens here. Look at this in verse 25. Oh no, I might, I might read before, sorry. Um, let's go to verse 20. You foolish person, do you want evidence that faith without deeds is useless? Was not our father Abraham considered righteous for what he did when he offered his son Isaac on the altar? You see that his faith and his actions were working together and his faith was made complete by what he did. And the scripture was fulfilled that says Abraham believed God and it was credited to him as righteousness. That that word you could take as having a right relationship with God, being one with him. It was credited to him. You see that a person is considered righteous by what they do and not by faith alone. And now in the same way, verse 25, was not even Rahab the prostitute considered righteous? She had a good relationship with God because of what she did when she gave lodging to the spies and sent them off in a different direction. As the body without the spirit is dead, so faith without deeds is dead. Why is he bringing up an old man and a prostitute at the end of this chapter? It's because the two of them had a strong relationship with God and it cost them something and they were willing to put it into practice. They're two really unusual examples, but here we see their faith was translated into direct action. It was not just a head knowledge thing. They didn't just know that they were righteous with God. They did something about it. They couldn't help but put it into action. It is the sign of a genuinely transformed life when you do something risky, like loving the poor. Because faith, which is genuine, it costs you something. It costs you something. It's not passive. It's not without consequence. Faith always leads somewhere. It has momentum. It causes stuff to change around you. So in the same way that Abraham and Rahab fearlessly obeyed God's command, we are called to mirror God's compassion for the poor and his universal love for all people but how can we do it i've got three really quick suggestions for you so you can write these down if you want to counteract a judgmental attitude we need to spend more time reflecting on what god has done for us we need to spend more time reflecting on what he's done for us i think number two the best way to honor the poor is to spend time with them and number three to avoid the distractions of becoming rich give your stuff away Can I pray for us? Father God, we thank you so much for this challenge that we see in James chapter 2. Lord, we do not want to be two-faced people. Father, if we're willing to stand up and be counted today and to say that we're followers of you, Holy Spirit, I pray that you would convict us where our words and our actions don't line up. Lord, I thank you for this church family being so accepting and so welcoming. But Lord, I am aware that on an individual, personal level, and actually as a culture... We're really judgy. We're really good at assessing people and and deciding if they're worthy or not. And Lord, you are on the side of the poor. So I pray, Father, that by your spirit, you would help all of us to be on the side of the poor. Lord, show us what that means in our workplaces, in our families, in our day-to-day life. How can we honor those that you have said are chosen for the kingdom? Holy Spirit, we welcome you to cause us to, to have that kind of transformational experience. God, would you show us what it means to put this into practice, we pray in Jesus' name. Amen. Amen.